The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination, eat, drink. Opulent coffee houses, schnitzel, and the best thing to eat after a night of late drinking. I'm Brent Peterson, host of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. And this week, we're in Vienna, Austria, where it's much more than fancy palaces and classical music. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Ed hates a cold open. Oh, really? <laughs> No. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Winemakers. I'm John Myers, sitting here with my really good Wait, friends. Wait, who the hell is running the board today? Who is that? Sam Katuri. I think it'll sound Ryan a lot Casey, better this week. Mark Hansen. A radio professional. Who are you? Why am I on this side of the table? And I don't even recognize you without those headphones everybody. on. everybody. Glad to be here, man. John, you look like you're flying a B-2 bomber. Yeah, who the hell bought those Specties? Where'd you get those headphones? From you, babe. They're the first headphones that John owned in the radio industry. <laughs> they are Brian's, but hey, everybody, welcome. So, we're over at Sam's Place, the tasting house, and we're just going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff. We're being joined by Jasmine this morning. How are you? Jasmine Egan, soon to be Jasmine. I might keep my last name. Uh, you know, hey. Uh, potential Freewald. Why not? Why not? A potential like, Freewald. I, I like my name. <laughs> Jasmine, what's up with um, all the Pinot Grigio, Pinot Gris questions? Oh, what's we up? Had the, our, our guests yesterday were requesting Pinot Grigio, and I really can't seem to think of anyone that was doing it. And I don't know if it's because our climate doesn't really support it or um, if people just don't tend to plan it here, but I you had, to, I got I had some to reach for you. out. All right. Dos Amigos. Dos Amigos. Robledo family. Is Dos Amigos, is Dos Amigos uh, Paradise View? Uh, what's his the 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 the, the, the clown? He's loud. <laughs> Jacuzzi. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, it is Ronald okay. McDonald. Ronald does some Why am I blanking stuff. on his name right now? Glenn Lyon. Uh, well, let's mention the guy who was a friar. Oh yeah, Squidell. Squire Friedel. One of. Never mind. I came from a theater world, Brian. I learned how to project at a young age. No, I know. Sam is the one, John, just so well, you always got to keep an eye on Sam's levels. Sam <laughs> is doing it right. Especially by the time he's Sam the is talking model. in the microphone. And, and the levels on his microphone. If you can get people to do that, you've started <laughs> off right. So look at you guys. Got all this wine here. It's in... Jeez, uh, I haven't been to a tasting down like rain. this in a while. And it is. Pouring down rain. We are not having a dry January. Uh, anywhere in the vicinity, both weather-wise or... Uh, Ooh, that's too sweet. What are you guys tasting right now? Uh, the natural wine, Rocket. I believe. I don't, is it natural wine? Is Teutonic Wine Company a natural Sam, wine? Sam, it's 10.48 alcohol, and it's got a fun label. It's a natural wine. Oh, is that what, the, is that what natural it's wine not, means? Yes. I was wondering. That's, that's the literal definition. To finally have a definition of what <laughs> natural yeah. wine is. Low alcohol, fun label. Farming be damned. Right. Where did this come from, Brian? Only add sulfur except when you need it. Who brought this over? <laughs> I don't know. It was here. Mm. Oh, well, then you go. Sam's not even drinking it. So, anyway. No, it was... Uh, um, 
Bart and Brian walked in the door with a bunch of red wine, and there was no white wine until Bart brought out some wine, from, some listener submitted wine from a state where they should stick to tobacco. Oh, <laughs> you know what? However, How I'm sure that that's. Hard. No, but then we, we have some North Carolina here. We're also. drinking Tar Heel wine. How do you how do you grow grapes and make wine in an area that's really known for tobacco? I mean, you're really Look, kind of there's production the winery how do you grow? in all fifty states. There yeah. is wine grapes grown in just about all of them. Uh, that scares me. And even Iowa. You know, I'm look from, it, when you grow it, it's it's places with huh. summer rain and humidity that are the hardest, and that's where. You get downy mildew, and there's no organic way mm-hmm. of dealing with downy mildew, so you just <laughs> that's a little, that's a little pump it with a whole bunch of fungicide. That's how you grow grapes in places where you should normally grow other things. We just don't think about some areas. I mean, in particular, Florida, Iowa, Missouri. Sorry, guys, in Missouri. But, I mean, I'm, I just don't think of it as, as grape growing you know, areas. If you look at... Or winemaking areas. History... Uh, you know, you know, U.S. history. They were making wine and growing grapes in Virginia way before anybody mentioned the word California. I think Thomas um, Jefferson had some vines. Yeah, right. I mean, how do those vines? The taste Zinfandel today? came out of, you know, the Zinfandel conundrum of where Zinfandel, the word and you know the variety came from. It was it was greenhouses and nurseries in New York State that crossed those wires of Primitivo and you know Trib de Bag or whatever and you know sent Zinfandel, which is a made up word basically to California. So wine growing and wine making has happened all over the country. It just happens that places with low humidity and Mediterranean climates do better. Yeah, and, right. and 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 there are you know in the past twenty five years, winemaking has come a long way in the other you know states of the union, and um, because they're learning how to grow grapes better, they're making the right choices of what varieties to plant. You know, winemaking is uh, there's a lot of winemakers that were here in California that moved on to other states for many different reasons, right? And they're good winemakers, so you know it's it it's gone away from just farmers and people who grew berries and made wine out of berries to people who are actual winemakers of profession and they just happen to be living in different states. Where are they going, Mark? I mean, I, I, I mean I'm just talking about across the country, John. There's people all over making wine. Well, you look well, at, I mean, Texas is the place you could look yeah. at. Yeah, right. Okay, so. Um, you know, after you leave the West Coast, you look at Texas. Um, well, and we know somebody who went down there. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's serious winemaking happening in Arizona. Yeah. Oregon. Um, Oregon, Washington. Well, of course, Washington. Oregon. Idaho. Shout out to the Bixby's who are out there listening. There's, hey, Bix. There's, there's wine grape growing in Idaho. Um, Pahrump Valley Winery in Nevada has a wall full of gold and silver medals, uh, for what it's worth. Um, you know, some of... Some of the best sparkling wine made uh, in domestically is made in New Mexico. Uh, Virginia right. as well. Virginia's got legit. Virginia's and, got a totally and, legit and, wine industry. And then we haven't said anything about New York, which has a fairly old right. wine history itself. Yeah, you know, for what lakes. they do. Huge, Finger so. Lakes and the, the, and that on Long Island too. Long Island. I think aside from California, New York is number two in producing. I believe. Really? Mm-hmm. What? 
I'm pretty before sure. Oregon and Washington. <laughs> mm-hmm. Brian pipes up. What? Yeah, new what? voice to the podcast throwing down <laughs> some new random unattributed facts. facts. Yeah, huh. she's perfect. And who, who out there is going to fact check her? I, I'll check oh, I will. Right now. Fact yeah, checking herself. I mean, I know. I'm pretty sure Virginia grows. I mean, they make a lot of they grow a lot of grapes in New York. They grow a lot of grapes in Virginia. They grow a lot of grapes. I mean, obviously Oregon and Washington. So I guess you can grow good wine, good grapes, and make great wine almost anywhere. But you can also make crappy wine almost well, anywhere. I, because that's the only thing I've anywhere. ever had that's, from those areas. That's the question of does terroir exist or not. Um, and I mean, can you do a good job growing grapes in your area? That doesn't necessarily your, mean that for your area. For your area, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to um, transmit out to quality the same as places where it's. And I'm not talking about just California, but just places that have better. Um, uh, better climate. weather and be, yeah, better climate. climate and soil, right? better terroir, climate and soil. Yeah, it's ranked third. So I was New off by is, one. New York, what's number two? Oregon, Washington. Washington. I'm glad you did that. I was going to actually have to move to impeach <laughs> you from the podcast. Oh, yeah. Apparently, that doesn't mean that she'll actually leave. So <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, how many minutes did that? What, what, how long? How far are we into it? Eight minutes Eight and 15 minutes. minutes. Eight Someone minutes. make an impeachment. Hey, I was, yeah, I was watching it this morning. You can't escape this stuff, man. That's crazy. Um, well, should we should we then take our take politics? We're going to talk politics. Should we do our weekly rant on the tariffs? Yeah, apparently you still can write your state representative. and Right, because somebody will vote on it or something? Yes. I mean, you know, we live in Sonoma where our state representative... Uh, Mike Thompson is the head of the Congressional Wine Caucus, so I think he would be number one in in opposition. Um, shout out to to Lyle Fass on this one; he's really done a lot. But his um, comments to Congress and what he's been talking about is: if you're going to do tariffs, um, do tariffs where it actually makes some impact on you know big producers if you're going to have tariffs on champagne put it on on the conglomerates and not on the grower stuff and kind of you know take that argument and put it across the board maybe you know if we're going to have these tariffs let's put tariffs on big international conglomerates and players that you know are, are the ones who are really driving all of this trade and allow for or encourage you know import and sale of of the small producer stuff and small farmers and you know small you know family owned uh, operations which kind of makes a lot of sense if, if you're going to do tariffs retaliatorily um, do it where there's big impact you know there's the world of you know seven dollar prosecco and and you know large production mid-price champagne that is you know by volume is you're going to be a lot more effective with tariffs than you are going to say on uh, you know a small a small producer grower champagne is going to send over 250 cases and, right. and right. You know, try and make an impact in this market um, right. and otherwise you know aren't going to be able to sell their wine in the same way so I like that I like that who's getting hurt the most by the tariffs besides the customer the, well so yeah. you I know mean, you I think mean, who's taking the, it so far. I mean, I think that the people that um, are the most vulnerable are smaller producer, uh, not smaller, but smaller distributors and wine shops that run with smaller margins or that use 
Um, you know, we talk about all the time, like all those European wines, especially French wines, the 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 village level, the you know AOC level stuff um, that isn't necessarily the most expensive. It's part of sort of the subsidies of the French wine industry, how the French wine industry works. Um, that fifteen dollar Cote de Rhone, um, a lot of distributors and a lot of wine shops make a lot of their margins on that that end, and that allows you know again. For smaller producer, more allocated, you know, smaller margin products. Yeah. Um, when yeah. those when those get doubled, um, those people are losing their margins. They're gonna, you know they're talking about we're talking sixty seventy thousand jobs in this country, ten billion dollars in in economic impact. Um, it's not it's not nothing. So oh no, absolutely not. But. You know, you, th- you think about who's really losing sales. Well, okay, your local wine shop is the number one hit. Um, who you think about all that, you know, like under business. 20 under twenty European wine at Sonoma's Best, at the Bottle Barn, at your local wine shop. That's the Talking stuff. Talking about my, my Brian's market. lifeline. <laughs> <laughs> Talking Brian's about medicine. my generation. Right. If all of a sudden those wines are $35, $40 or just straight Ouch. up don't exist. Right. Well, yeah, and that's just it. It's just they just don't exist. You know, there's just they won't be in the wine shop. Right. You know, and they then, stop carrying them. They have to for now. You right. Would think, right? I mean, because if people aren't going to buy them anyway, why would they invest in the inventory? Um, and so then, therefore, the wine shop has already starts to struggle because well, their sales are going down. So one of the things that they're talking about is if you put in an order for say your you know pallet or two of some wine and it doubles in price while it's in route while it's on a boat coming you know through the freaking Panama Canal How the hell and it sits there that, in Oakland Sam? and all of a sudden the price is doubled on what you you know your tax bill on it and if you're a small produ- a small distributor or a small wine shop you don't have the cash to pay that double tax and that wine just sits there and isn't going to ever Can they actually do that cu- that's to, to a shipment in No that's it's it, the effect the, the tariffs are affected when the wine lands. Ouch! So if you made an order and it's on a boat right now coming from you know a, a port in Bordeaux to I don't, you know I don't know where the port is in in France but you know the port of Oakland port of San Diego port of you know Newport News I don't know uh, all of a sudden those wines could potentially cost twice as much as they did when they were loaded onto the ship. Wow. And how about the other side of the world over in China? Okay, so we're still dealing with that. And who's getting hurt there? The big ones? You know, I I think the last time we spoke, we were talking about a a sales conference, a a big trade show. And there were still people there from California just so when the tariffs went off, everybody remembered Duckhorn. They were there. And uh, but I imagine that the sales have just shut off. I mean, well, I, Brian, I mean, you, you'd know, and Bart, you'd know better than anybody, actually. Well, I, I know. I, I mean, I don't really follow the Chinese wine market, to be know, quite honest. Just tariffs and um, who's, you know. Again, I, 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 I don't know what's going on over there. That's actually one of the things that they're worried about with these European wine tariffs is that all of a sudden. Asia becomes where those European wines start going and even if you change the tariffs and there's a trade deal made that those wines will continue to go not to not to North America They're but first to Asia. us second 
How nice. So really, this one thing of putting tariffs on in exchange for intellectual property, right? Right, essentially, it's digital tax, and it's this, somehow it has to do with Airbus and Boeing and subsidies for airplanes. Like, that's, you know, that's, wine is a pawn in some much larger... Well, how did it get hit on so much? Global macroeconomic... A snobbish thing from France, we can nail them? Put a tax on them? I mean, if you think about it, I'm not buying a Boeing airplane, but I'm going to buy wine, so it affects normal, everyday people, so then it starts a conversation. You know what I mean? And you don't really care when you fly if you're on a Boeing or an Airbus. Well, no, I don't want to be one plane that I really care about not flying. Right, one Boeing that keeps crashing. Yes, yeah. right. I mean, isn't that amazing? That's going to put them out of business, man. Uh, I mean, it's, oh, it's hurting him so bad. CEO had sixty million dollars on his way out the door. Yeah, and I'm usually they can't do that forever, Sam. Startled how companies, when stuff like that happens, they tend to bounce back fairly quickly. Right. Well, they don't own the market anymore. I mean, look at Airbus. I mean, they're huge. And people are requesting it. I don't want to fly on that airplane. This yeah. concludes today's episode of The Airplane Makers. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, drink wine on so, it. <laughs> well, I know they serve Lease Fitch wines on the uh, airplane. <laughs> you know, that market has delightful to be locally made wine here. I can't imagine, you know, having the job actually not buying wine for the airplane. There's, there's, there are people you know, who do that. There, there, oh, yeah, there's, um, there are distributors that they specialized in working with the cruise ships and the yeah. um, airlines, and it's big money if you're a large enough winery. Absolutely, yeah. And you know, there for a while there wasn't Levy. Didn't no, no it was uh, John. John Bonet. Yeah, I think he still might. It's uh, like first class on JetBlue or yeah. something like that. He does the wines. Um, and the interesting thing about that is is um, how wine tastes different at thirty five thousand feet, and you know your ability, uh, your ability to taste is different at thirty five thousand feet. Ooh. So things smell it just takes taste more. differently, and you then start <laughs> to like think about you know when from that perspective, not it's not just like little bottles of of Lee's Fitch or Glen Ellen. There's a lot of Glen Ellen on the airplane. Yeah. Um, it's about like if you're flying first class and it's John Bonet putting together the wine list, um, what wines taste good at that, and it's different than necessarily what wines taste good at. Right. You know, That's interesting. We I used to work for Hornblower Dining Yachts and we would always get our you know our soda guns. We'd get them. Um, what do you call it? Calculated. Uh, uh, right. The the amount of CO two with the syrup. They'd adjust that while you were in port, and then as soon as you pull out. The engines are running at a different speed or whatever, and so it would fuck with the with the ratio hmm. of the syrup to soda. So because then, it runs off the engine generator. Hours. So then you Whoa. had to yeah. So we figured out we had to bring the coke guy out on a little cruise with us and have him best adjust job the ever. Ratio. I gotta go spend three hours on the bay playing with some <laughs> corn syrup. Well, do you have to do a blind tasting at thirty six thousand feet? Is that the yeah? Deal? I mean, I think that that but. Yeah. But then you have to talk to TSA because how you're you're not allowed to bring liquid over two ounces on the airplane. You can't you can't bring wine. You know, technically be nice. 
Right, if you could, if you could bring your bottle, yeah, if you could, you know, just take. (laughs) Why not? Now they're not charging for baggage. Yeah, this is the new thing. They don't want. They want to start moving off of that as a perk. If French people ran the world, (laughs) (laughs) well, wouldn't be all that bad. No, the food pyramid. Sam, we need your quote right now. (laughs) (laughs) No, the food pyramid would be. Duck, cassoulet, um, you know, lots of red wines, etc. So, speaking of, how was your trip to France, and how was Phil's and Arden's? I mean, it looks like these guys had a real good Jasmine, time. Jasmine, Jasmine you it's, go first. It's pretty shocking how affordable wine is. Um, there was only a, a few spots that we had to get special reservations in where wine costs were similar to what we pay here um, in Sonoma and in Napa. Um, it was it was pretty amazing just being able to get these fabulous bottles. Like you were almost nervous to buy wine at the grocery store or at the market just because of how affordable it was. Because you'd buy too much fancy wine that was too expensive, and then well, I just I'm I feel like I'm accustomed to being a shopper in Sonoma, and um, it and we I feel like are much more reasonable than Napa, so it's it's, oh, it's pretty interesting just the the costs, and um, I don't know it's it's pretty amazing. There's a lot more rules that they have over there. Like they can only like in Chateauneuf de Pop, your grapes have to be head trained, and your um, Everything has to be hand-picked, which I know our practices that um, Enterprise Vineyards does. Is um, there anywhere else in the world that has a rule like that? Sam has to be head-trained? All over all over France, there's rules on uh, to... So if you're in Chateauneuf, it's not that your vines have to be head-trained. So your vines have to be head-trained to be allowed to put Chateauneuf to pop on your label. So all over France, in the AO, part of the AOC... Uh, system is um, rules about your farming practices, your your yields, the varieties that are planted. Um, you know, one of the things that you're not allowed to do in, in many Appalachians, I think most Appalachians in France, is is water. Now you can have vineyards in France that you water, but then it just becomes a vin de pays or vin de vin de France or whatever. Um, but in a, in a climate change world, they're talking about changing rules as far as irrigation goes uh, for, for the AOC wines. Did you have a favorite wine or favorite vineyard uh, that you went to um, in France? There, there was, I mean, you can't, and Charlotte's hospitality alone is just amazing. And uh, yeah, Chateau Fontaloupe was definitely up there. Oh. Um, what was the other one? Is there a wolf in here? What is it? It's a fountain of wolves in here. I'm going to mispronounce this, but uh, Domaine La Baroche was definitely um, the highlight of my trip. You got it right. Yeah. Yeah, It sounded pretty good. Okay, good. Um, What was fabulous about it? Oh my gosh. The, just the, the wines just blew you away. You were chasing, they have two labels that are kind of on their down low. Um, but if you get a chance to taste their, um, ask about their pure labels. Um, I, I, I bought I bought the, the bottle of that white. Room, room had last year. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, but they make a white stuff. one. Julien. Julien. Juju. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I we we didn't even get a chance to taste it. They were just talking about it, and they had like seven bottles left. I'm like, I need three of those right now. <laughs> How rude of you! You should have just been saying, "May <laughs> I have <laughs> one? I need three. Buy them out. Need three. Did any of those three bottles make it back to America? No, I, I I had a <laughs> I, I brought two uh, bottles of wine back. Uh, uh, I, I drink quite a bit. <laughs> Sam, that's not appearing soon on an episode of Winemakers. Pure Blanc. You know, you know what? I think there is a bottle in the cellar here, though. <laughs> not of the pure white. Oh, really? Oh, no, white. not of the pure white. Have, oh, I'm talking pure white? I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, shit, I've never tried it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what's in it? Um, it's 100% old vine. It's claret, isn't claret? it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it was amazing. <laughs> okay. How do we get a bottle from Brian? You have to go there. Um, they won't Brian, ship. Yeah, again? we're screwed. I think we will be at, and I have a new pronunciation for this, uh, thanks to Steve Law yesterday. When we are down at Hospice uh, du Rhone, uh, maybe we can run across Julian, and maybe about two o'clock in the morning when he's really ramped up, I can see if maybe I can order I like three bottles. I think that we could probably find some things grown in Sonoma that you could trade Julian for a bottle. Ah. <laughs> oh, yay! Yay! Little <laughs> exchange. Here's the thing: is I can't go to hospice, so or Osbis, so um, you're gonna have to save that bottle for when I get home. That's fine. We can do that. We can do that. So Sam, did Phil have a good time? So. You know, they went uh, they went Paris, Bordeaux, hanging out with Stefan de Court, and then they drove to Chateauneuf, um, hung out with... That's with, a nice drive across and the Apparently, it's a great drive, and it took, like, basically the same amount of time that flying would, which was what they were going to do. And then they drove along the coast to Tuscany. So, I, you know, I talked to my dad a few times, and one day I was talking to him. He's in Tuscany. They're in, they're in Florence. They're staying at a resort with a spa. And he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm just really tired. And I'm like, well, tired, Dad. What have you been doing? He's like, you know, I was at the spa. I got a massage. Went on a walking tour. I'm like, no, no, no. That's not tired that you're feeling. That's relaxed. And, you know, it had been 40 years since he felt any sense of relax. So they did. They had a, they had a great trip. Great wine, food. But I think the whole thing was it was the longest he'd ever, they'd ever gone. They were gone for over three weeks. And that was, that was, uh, it was great for everybody on both sides of the and pond. And nothing fell apart while he was <laughs> gone. That's nothing cool. fell apart. You know, it was it was November. There was well, hey, congrats. Going. That's a really good but, thing. So that was yeah. That I mean, for you know, uh, from my perspective, that was the highlight of their trip. I'm sure that if you asked them, they'd have other things to say. Um, you know, some of the the meals and experiences. Um, you know, as he gets sort of deeper into the the community and Chateauneuf, sounded pretty awesome. Some like go into somebody's yeah. winery, some cave that you've never heard of, and they're cooking food in there and then doing, the, you know, opening wine, and that was lunch, you know? <laughs> it was like, uh, so. It's it amazing. Some of those basements have some very old, very dusty bottles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've only been in one room like that. They don't labels on them until right. they sell until them. They sell them. Hey, Jasmine, so um, you recently um, got your first psalm. Yeah. Uh, certification. Yeah. Congratulations yeah. Yeah. to that. Level one. And do you want to talk about that at all? Any? Um, it was it was fun uh, just being in a classroom setting and knowing <laughs> answers to questions and being really excited about Because wine. you knew the answers? Because I knew Cheers the answers. <laughs> yeah, Brian and I sat in the back of the class, but we, we had all the interesting answers. That's where the troublemakers are. <laughs> right, exactly. I never sat in the front. Um, <laughs> I only sat in front once they made me. <laughs> what happened? 
it, it was a good time though and um they did a lot of different things uh i think the whole day it, it was like a four hour day um where part of it was a test and they give you lunch and and so th- for our listeners which um which class did you take i took the w set one at napa wine academy okay and napa wine academy they do all of them right yes i mean that is what they do is teach wine tasting essentially yeah. Moving yeah. Yeah. Emails every day. <laughs> yeah. I get them too. What's that course cost? What do oh, you put three fifty. Oh, that's easy. Yeah. Three fifty. I was thinking a couple. Well, three hundred fifty bucks yeah. per <clears throat> per test. Per test, and then the and then um, you know they want to move you to number two. And, and they help you study. This is the concept, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah there's. Here's I mean, you're going to be tested on. Here's how to do it. What you look. And for. I think Jasmine will probably agree with this. What was really interesting for us, be, you know, having either worked at wineries or um, a lot of stuff that we see isn't textbook stuff. So when the, it was funny that the teacher would even say, okay, learn what I'm telling you right now, because this is how it's going to be on the test. But when they talk about certain ways of making wine or techniques, you know, we've seen like oh, a yeah. little bit of everything, but he would say, okay, now just remember that this is the way that I'm teaching you. This is the way that they make this wine because that's what's going to be on the test but like you know we know people that soak rosé for extended period of time on the skins or you know just yeah. different things like that where Who we would do such a crazy thing yeah where we've we've just seen different stuff and um, but once you know the answer then you can expand on it right once you know the correct answer then well you know i think the, i think the thing is is that to make all of these certifications relevant you have to have a standard and so the standard was established at a time when these are the norms, right? And we're kind of in a growth period with people experimenting, I would say. Well, Don't, wouldn't you guys say that? The, for me, the only thing that makes any of the experimenting interesting is knowing the basics and the foundation right. and the standards. That if you, you know, for you guys experiencing all the different things that people have come in and told you about and all the different winemaking methods, um, but if you start from a, well, this is how things are normally done, then having the conversation about a three-hour cold soak maceration on a rosé becomes interesting, or right. using Viognier skins in your Syrah, or, or well, I mean, like, any of the, you know, stirring leaves, not stirring, whatever those things are, seeing the differences is what makes that interesting, right? Right. Yeah, you know, it's, I was thinking about Hardy Wallace with his skin soak podcast guest Hardy Wallace. Yes, Hardy. <laughs> We're still waiting. <laughs> um, skin fermented, concrete skin fermented semion. I want to taste that, you know? For sure. I mean, I love semion. Certainly I like, not I traditional. I like Bordeaux whites, but I know Hardy has been, he's doing his blending right now, so maybe it's a good time uh, in the next week to reach out to him. And what would be tradition on then, that, Art? Semion? You know, I mean, what it would be traditional semion, it would come from Bordeaux, You'd would be either tank or barrel fermented. Mm-hmm. Pressed off of skins, skins uh, blended immediately. with Sauvignon, blended with Sauvignon, yeah. Blanc. Yeah. Um, and you know, and and, and, and I don't know, is Semillon a testable barrel aged, probably a testable um, wine uh, through? You mean doing a blind tasting? Yeah. Oh, they try and stick to. So what's interesting? Be, we didn't we didn't do blind tastings for W Set One. You do it for Quartermaster's Homes. 
Um, and then as you move up, you do more for WSET, you'll do more of the blind tastings. But they try and stay, uh, what do they call it, varietally correct. Right. So, you know, they're not going to give you a Viognier that's grown in Portugal by some guy who does right. skin contact and then ages in oak for 24 months. Right. I mean, so that's, in the that's case, not fair. So in the case of Semillon, it would be uh, Bordeaux Blanc. It would be Bordeaux Blanc or, or even if you do it, you know, from here in California, you know, up at Monterosso, something right. like that. I mean, if you're trying to. Um, a semi but that's a that's a tough call probably yeah yeah i don't think i would ever pass out <laughs> of the first question you know when we have blind tastings over here uh, maybe i think it might be italian but todd nails it right mm -hmm. so he's just got you have to have a natural ability to do this that and it, it, it's a lot of a lot of it is studying and just making um sense memories and just kind of being like oh like, you know, you were so excited when you took the quarter master psalm that um, your wine smelled like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're like, oh, petrol, petroleum, like, Riesling. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like, I have the same thing. Um, I can pick out um, old Sonoma um, Zinfandels very well just because I've had opportunities to taste them. Um, and it's my you, favorite where thing. You, where do you do that, Jessica? <laughs> Here, actually, the uh, when Brian Casey was manager at the Fig, um, he gave me one of the first wines ever grown in um, who? Sonoma, which was who was cool. at the Fig? What? It was one of you Brian got it from Casey a table, and I don't know if you remember this, but you were like, everyone come here. This was one of the first wines ever made in Sonoma, and it was it was kind of crazy. Because yeah, we do um, at the at the Fairmont. We've got three vintages of. Um, Chateau Manolino Zin, I think it's like 73, 76, and 81 or something like that. And Mark, Mark one day when I was the assistant saw him, just blind tasted me. He said, smell this. What do you think it is? And I was like, ooh, um, totally smells like Zin, but it smells old world because it was so aged. Um, but, it, but yeah, if, you're, if you live here in California and you're used to smelling Zinfandel, then there's something really familiar about it. Um, yeah, we had a good time. And I, I, hope, I hope Jasmine... Um, goes and takes the two and maybe does quartermaster psalms because i uh, now what have you done brian uh quartermaster psalms and then just started on w set because i figured might as well do it i mean will you guys talk about what the differences of those are maybe so, for people that might be interested pretty simple w set is hi althea um, we have w's, another guest at yeah. the table oh she's the first she looks a little tired hi, althea <laughs> Um, w set Dude, is. What does the puppy say? What's puppy say? What's puppy say? Roof. Waiter, wait for Okay. <laughs> Give her a little wine. Too many guys with no beards. Yeah. <laughs> um, w set is more um, tasting and uh, process of winemaking, and then quartermaster psalms would be more service oriented. So, as a psalm, how you move around the table, how you're presenting the wine. If you have a table of eight and they order one bottle, when you get to the end, you better have poured the same exact amount in every glass. Um, and then, and, uh, and blind tasting as well. And what's, what I loved about court of master Psalms is you're actually taught by master Psalms. So right. you had six master Psalms in the same room where I think, I think they had to put the rest of them in a bunker somewhere. Cause if uh, we would have had an earthquake in San Francisco that day, it would have been a huge loss. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on a minute, Brian. Hold on. Survivor song. Yeah. Yeah. Survivor song. <laughs> well, we do have a new guest. Healthy's sitting on the table, just hanging out. Sam's arms. Just so cute. Up. She's adorable, man. She's, she's going to have to take my spot. I have to. 
head over to go check out some wines. You out of here? On the fig. All right. Yeah. Enjoy. Do some more tasting. Wait, 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 wait. Stop. <laughs> wait a minute. So maybe you, we should all go. So <laughs> you are sort of collaborating with Sandra in sort of picking wines for the wine list at the Girl on the Fig. Yeah, so, um, getting some exposure to how things go behind the scenes. Um, I, I love working for the FIG and want to be involved and kind of want to branch out to, to more of their wine program. And so kind of getting my feet wet in it and going to meet with some. You know what would be really good to, to probably carry at the Girl in the FIG? <laughs> would be uh, Autotat Rosé. <laughs> Funny. Um, they just I wonder what. Just I wonder how much it would be if you sold it to them. <laughs> I've already talked to Sandra about this. <laughs> Man, just do okay, not. That's a good thing. Yeah. Just so don't do you have any idea what you're going to try today? Or do you just walk um, in? I, I know who we're meeting with. And um, that's who? Uh, Is it a rep or it's a winemaker? Okay. So I, I, don't, I don't know the people stuff yet. Stuff out of their book. Yes. The big one? Please. <laughs> Don't get rid of the McLaren Syrah by the way. Oh, I don't think that's possible. Thank God. Oh, no. That's not on our chopping block. But it, I don't think I could go in there. No. Like, that's all right, John. If it ever happens, we I, I got an in with McLaren Sarong. Yeah. yeah. But there's a difference between having you can it get it straight home, from the barrel. You know, <laughs> et cetera, um, and going in. And, you know, when you walk in and you're able to get your... Really, one of my favorite glasses of wine. That's a beautiful glass. It really is. There wine. you go, Steve. You hear that? Oh, he knows that. I, I, I like to suck that stuff down. So, Well, you know, so we talked a little bit about vacations. Bye, Jasmine. Stuff like Bye. that. But, Bye, Jazz. Uh, Bye, Jasmine. Have fun. Lots of vacations going on here still. I mean, I see, I see tourists around town like crazy. It's been packed. I mean, wow, sorry. send them my way then. Seriously. <laughs> where I don't know they? where you're hanging out. Are you hanging out at the visitor center? No, I'm hanging around just even trying to uh, cut through on Spain. You know, driving. It's lots of tourists walking the city. Huh. Yeah, and the, when the sun's shining, the people are still out. I, You know, I don't know um, what occupancies are in the hotels and how the restaurants are doing. Brian's um, kind of giving us a little bit of a insight on that. Um, but, you know, uh, we've got a couple of restaurants closed right now for um, winter uh, sprucing up. But the fig opens tonight, or at least I have a reservation. Okay, tonight. So hopefully yeah. there's a floor. And, and the then the Swiss the Hotel <laughs> opens up um, here, I think, this week also. Oh, Swiss Hotel was closed, too? Yep, yep. Oh, wow. So, um, Where would you eat in Sonoma? Well, there are other places. Uh, EDK <laughs> has been bumping. Actually, we had a good lunch there last week, right? And, um, yeah, they, we all ordered our own stuff and then for, we had Althea with us. So we ordered the vegan option, which just seemed to be something she would be into with the, it was like the butternut squash with yeah. the lentils and the maitake mushroom that looked exactly like her hair. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was actually really good. Yeah. I think she ate more truffle fries than she ate her vegan squash. Yeah, probably squash. so. She's a couturier. <laughs> Does she have a, fa a favorite wine yet? Uh, so, and I, I didn't get it on video, of course, but at Thanksgiving, I gave her her first taste of Chateauneuf de Pop, and the look on her face and the smile that went ear to ear and, like, eyes wide um, was the, maybe, you know, was a, was a top 10 fatherhood moment so far. And uh, proud who Papa it, moment. Who was the produ moment. producer in Vintage, please? Uh, you know, I, it was what I bought from... Uh, I bought it from from Todd at uh, Sonoma's Best. It was a twenty. It was it was new. It was a twenty sixteen. I forget the producer though. It might have been Senko. Yeah. I think it was, it was yeah. a Louis Burrell one. Cool. Yeah. 
All right. Well, you guys want to get into this report you guys were talking about? Did I try? Are we going to talk about the report, or are we going to? I think we're going to push it off because there's a second. There's a second um, report next week. Second, second part two of it. Of the conversation. Yeah, of the conversation. You know, from the first part to touch on a little bit. um, You know, it has a lot to do with millennials. Um, and the fact that, you know, they are eventually going to start buying wine and well, you and you know, I were they talking talked about, about this between millennials not yet buying enough wine right. and the boomer generation going into retirement, right. sellers being full, not drinking anymore, right. whatever, you know, the, you know, those, that generation buying less wine and then, you know, sort of. Uh, there's generations in between Boomer and X. I don't know why we only talk about right. those. Right. Uh, but um, and then yeah. and, and then the other thing is the the oversupply um, of um, you know varieties. You know the oversupply of Napa Cab is there. Yeah. Um, you know oversupply in general because um, consumption is you know on its way down. So let let's. I, I've only gotten like. Tw- 10 minutes into the report myself, but for those of you out there that might be interested, you can still do this. It's called Silicon Valley Bank, and they do a survey every year, um, and when everything is reported, then they do a, a, a video and with kind of the findings. And it's really fascinating. If you're in the business, it's especially fascinating. If you're just a, um, a wine nerd and you're curious, some of it will be relevant to you and some of it maybe not, but it's fun. And um, Paul Maybray was one of the correct one of the uh, friend of the what, program. Uh, yeah, who who we did a previous podcast with was one of the contributors as well. Yeah, so check it out. Um, so she just it's had to go good. to Silicon really Valley is. Bank, um, and uh, I forgot the gentleman's name. Sam, uh, we can look Rob that McMillan. up. Yeah. And Rob McMillan. Yeah. yeah, so check it out. They're on Twitter, Facebook, SCB Instagram. Rob, I think is his. Yeah, is his yeah. Twitter. Yeah, um, and you know we. You say that it's it's all um, user industry user submitted uh, information. They send out the survey, and you know the the flaw. One of the flaws in the survey is that it comes out in September or October. But um, you know it's, it takes fifteen twenty minutes, and and wine industry people fill it out, and they and it's self reporting sales and growth or not or you know varietals production things like that. That he then takes all this information and. Um, you know, does the data magic and aggregates it all and comes with this report. So, um, you know, it's it's uh, a way that the wine industry sort of talks to itself through through these reports. Uh, I found it fascinating. I looked at a lot of a lot, the, of, lot stuff, of the slides, a lot of stuff in there. especially the concerns. Some of the things that you wouldn't even you know you think, wow, mainly concerned about the economy. No, it's totally different. Um, and it anyway. Uh, we'll talk about it next week, but yeah, this guy's name was Rob McMillan. That's yeah, who you sent. Okay. So, uh, well, and Bart, we're having a Bart and I just talked about it briefly yesterday about millennials and how, you know, it was like five years ago. Everyone was talking about millennials. Millennials, this is the new market. You got to cater to them, and then and then it was it ended up kind of being a, a bubble bust because yeah, they just weren't buying anything. But what I was mentioning to Bart yesterday is that I think what they're driving is content in social media. <laughs> You know right. what I mean? Every every Instagram wine influencer is a millennial. So I don't think that they're necessarily purchasing wine, but they're driving the content. And so in a way, you sort of have to cater to them because other people are purchasing wines based on what they see. And right. when you have them pushing content, then it's, it's putting it out there. Um, so 
I mean, it's an interesting sort of... Yeah, I mean, you know, it's definitely a stereotypically more social media savvy age group and demographic. Um, So, you know, one of the things where... Because this this isn't... You know, I went and I printed out the 2019 forecasts and I was going to scan through 2018 forecasts. That's one of the things that I first look at in these... In, you know, in this report, and they keep talking about this, you know, millennials and millennial wine buying keeps coming up, um, and it, you know, feels like a demographic that we do pretty well with at 16600. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't have that concern in the same way. I, you know, the concern that you have, what I have with millennial, my, or like millennial club members is they keep putting club memberships on hold when they get pregnant and things like that. I mean, that's a demographic thing that, you know, you're not dealing with, with, with the baby right. boomer sales, right. group, you know, demographic. Um, but, you know, what do we do differently at 16600 than other places that, uh, and, you know, I don't know, because I don't, I don't work at those places. But, you know, if you look at, it's easy to see when a social media account is sort of rote and, and boring um, and I try, you know, we try and keep things interesting, but um, when those accounts are like out there fishing for millennial engagement, um, and I think that's, you know, a, a huge turnoff to start with. Well, <clears throat> you're a millennial. You're the face. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a exennial. Oh, jeez. Okay, get specific. <laughs> I want you to say, hey, okay, boomer, to me. Just to okay, tell me. okay, boomer. I mean, that's... and look, I, I, as a millennial, um, you know, my business wine purchases are probably uh, an you know an anomaly, but my right. personal wine purchases aren't necessarily. I mean, I buy wine, and the wines that you know are in the cellar are are bought by sixteen six hundred. They're not they're not necessarily. It's not my personal collection, right. but it's about education. It's about marketing. It's about being able to go to a dinner or you know with the team and open bottles of wine from around the world and have that conversation. So that sort of, you take that piece out of it, uh, my wine buying is probably very millennial-esque. Right. You know, I don't spend a ton of money. I don't buy a ton. I'm not, I'm not drinking those wines every day of the week. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I, I am that for right. sure. Yeah. Um, I, I had a conversation with my friend Jen Wall, who's the winemaker for Barefoot Cellars. And, you know, that's a Gallo, now owned by Gallo. And uh, num- one of the top, produ- you know, by volume wine yeah. in the world. Huge, right. huge. Did it used and to be Davis Bynum? It and- did used okay. to be Davis Bynum. It was part of that. And um, she worked for it after that. Um, and then when Gallo purchased it, she was brought in contract as the winemaker. And a few years back, we were at the Unified Symposium, and we were walking around, and she was looking for alternative packaging. And that was a big deal for them. And they've done the Tetra boxes and, you know, some different cannings right. and whatnot. Um, they've done all sorts of things. But she said this year was going to be her busiest year ever because Gallo is doing a um, wine-based, 100% wine and water-based sparkling, um, you know, product. Seltzer. Wait, wait, seltzer. Wait, wait. They're doing a seltzer, but it's going to be wine-based. And okay, they so like white it to claw, be what's huge for them? What's so in, white, white, white claw, claw would be like is a, just malt liquor, liquor yeah. and or spirit and or water. They, they, I mean, barley. all the, yeah, all those sparkling things are all you know a little different, but huh? And they, and we're talking about cans. I'm sure it'll be in cans. cans. What is the alcohol on those things? 
low. Well, and I think I think the the point with hers less than the Teutonic right blend sprocket. The 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 point with her actually is that because it was wine based and they wasn't going to be sugar added. Um, so I, I, we could have her on the show and have her talk about it if we. I mean, you know, people want to hear, you know, what that would be the largest production wine we've ever had. Yeah, you know, it'd be interesting. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, besides naked wines, I guess yeah, probably no. Better. No, naked no, wines is nothing compared to com- barefoot. Barefoot, huh? Uh, Do you see? Uh, um, back to John Bonnet put out this list of the top ten wines. Um, I just saw that, sold, and Barefoot sold was by yeah the the Pennsylvania Liquor Board. Barefoot was three, three, three in the top ten, and one of them was literally um, it was like six million dollars in magnums of Barefoot Pinot Grigio <laughs> at seven dollars a magnum. Do you know where which, that goes? Which, Jesus, uh, Pennsylvania, the state of Pennsylvania. <laughs> no, I mean, do you know where that eventually ends up? Those magnums, yeah. Like I'm sure it's hotels and restaurants and poured by the glass, right? No, it's, we don't pour it by the glass. I see a ton of barefoot wines. It's all in the kitchen, and we buy uh, we buy those magnums. That's what we use for, for cooking, cooking wine. wine. Yeah, Whoa. rather than buy the Franzia uh, boxes, Franzia boxes, we, because that's a very common thing in kitchen that you see. Yeah, we use the barefoot, barefoot. Uh, and uh, magnums. Some of it goes into the food, and some of it goes into the kitchen staff. No, no, no. <laughs> I will, you know. Well, no, here's the no, deal. No, no. It's probably more. Ec- it's probably more ecologically correct because glass. The, the, it's more recyclable than a plastic than a plastic bag. bag. In the box, but right? then when you consider weight of glass, I well, mean, you know, right. well, that's shipping. No, yeah. everything counts. Yeah. But you know, it's, it was a million barefoot magnums of Pinot Grigio bought by the state of Pennsylvania and then sold by the state of Pennsylvania. State of Pennsylvania, I think, continues to be the one of, the, if not the largest single wine purchaser in the world because, because of their state laws, because it's right? State laws, but and you know, all alcohol bought by the state. But unlike say Utah or other states that do that, there's a large population and a large population of drinkers, right? Hmm. You have your top your forecast for the twenty twenty. Twenty twenty should we read the forecast? Yeah, I thought that would be interesting. Go, Go ahead. You want to read it? Yeah. Althea, do you want to read it? Do you know how to read yet? No, yeah, she does. Here, Althea, what does the dog say? What does the puppy say? Nothing. Okay, just right. before we go, <laughs> what does the fox say? <laughs> what please. does a fox? No, please don't. No, don't, yeah. don't. Oh, don't do not do Google. It. <laughs> <laughs> do not Google. Mm-hmm. Okay. So immediately I have to. What am I going to get here? So forecasts for 2020. Absolutely. Okay, so this is uh, from the Silicon Valley wine report. Uh, Acute oversupply will allow for better quality juice and lower price bottles, improving value and incentive, uh, provide incentive for millennials to become more consistent wine buyers. Oversupply will lead to vineyard removals and fallowing in some cases and reduced returns for growers. I think that's something you see drive around Sonoma Valley. There's vineyards that have been pulled out and not replanted. There's vineyards that still have fruit from 2019 that just sitting there rotting. Leveroni and Arnold, I think. Leveroni and Arnold. The others, you know, Napa Road on the other side, there's a couple of places. Um, So grape and bulk prices will stabilize at lower levels than we've seen in five years. Uh, and it will be well beyond 2020 before we see great prices stabilize. I don't know what that means. Baby boomers are moving into retirement and declining in both numbers and per capita consumption, while millennials aren't yet embracing wine consumption, choosing to stick with spirits or abstain altogether. Screw you, dry January. On the other hand, millennials <laughs> represent the wine industry's largest <laughs> opportunity. 
premiumization is nearing its apex as a trend, indicated by the decline in total sales volume, decline in premium wine growth rates, and difficulty in passing price increases on to consumers. And this is a place where, you know, the conversation we had about tariffs comes into effect. When these prices of expensive wine goes up, you know, who's left to buy it and what's going to, you know, what will be left purchased at, the other, at those other prices. Um, cumulative negative messaging about alcohol and health is impacting demand from young customers. They have stalled growing in their wine preference and started leaning towards premium spirits and craft beer. So there's this whole thing that, you know, and this is where seltzer exploded as like somehow a healthier alternative than drinking right. other things. And where did that come from? And and it's also, you know, what drives a lot of, um, quote, you know, natural wine sales that somehow they're, they're the health, more healthful alternative than drinking. Right. Um, and, you know, I don't know. Well, <laughs> I, I got. If it's like I don't know. If that's you, really what's driving your purchase decisions. Then you're probably not gonna be buying fancy wine. Fine anyway, wine. anyway, yeah. Anyway, yeah. right? I mean, that's. And I and if I'm drinking a white claw, I'm adding alcohol to it. Right. So it's not any healthier. <laughs> it's basically a mixer. Look, whatever they look. I, when you can have something that is zero calories or low calories and still has alcohol and flavor, like whatever the science that went into that can't be better for you than just drinking a glass <laughs> or a bottle of wine where you like know who grew it and how it was grown yeah. and how it was made. Yeah, it was actually like a plant. Right? <laughs> you know, it was like came from a plant. Yeah. yeah. Something real. Grown in the soil under the sun. Right, right. Not made in a laboratory. Yeah. Ultimately, I guess that's the final reason that Mix your own wine with water, the, the powder. Powdered, just powdered. never succeeded, did it? <laughs> I, I think that selling powdered alcohol is a bad idea for a number of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. People will be snorting it in the next 20 years, man. Uh, God. Know, get drunk quick plans. There yeah. Go. Well, you've got an awful lot of uh, wine lined up in front yeah, of Yeah, um, we did open a few bottles here, did we? talk about we? anything that we what's, actually What's drink? the best on the well, table? Well, so, you know what? I'll start with, I'm going to talk about the wine that I brought. I didn't taste the Dane yet. So I brought a 2016 Gopher Run Zin. This is a new vineyard for me. Uh, this is just going to be be released here as soon as I finish Instagram an email. Are you picking it or are um, you pouring it? Uh, I was doing both. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so that's a new release for me, a new vineyard. Um, Look for an email coming in your email Exactly. Box. we got to pay for bottling in March, you guys. So <laughs> get ready to buy, buy some wine. Buy wine. Buy wine in February to pay for bottling in March. <laughs> Welcome to the wine industry. <laughs> that makes sense. And then, um, Sam, you got a 15-vowel Rossi homage. That's been open for a couple days, but I feel like I needed it. It's the uh, yeah. 60% Grenache, 30% Mavedra. Um, so it means it's, you know, got more Mavedra than we usually have in the Rossi blend. Um, and the Mavedra needed a day or two to and come that's, out of its shell. Uh, I, find, I think and we have the, the Rossi range in general. Well, we have the 13 at the hotel. So it's, that's all, and that's 45 Mavedra. Right. So, it, but once you get that thing open, it's beautiful. It sings. And then we got the Bedrock, um, 17 Evangelo Vineyard Heritage Contra Costa, which is great. Um, and then also the Gamba. Yeah. So Gus Gamba, uh, 2017 Zen Family Ranch Russian River Zinfandel. For me, the Bedrock and the Gamba are, are very similar. 
in uh, profile. Really? Yeah. What's interesting, the bedrock is probably, what's the alcohol in the bedrock compared to the gamba? Mm, <laughs> let's see what it says. Uh, 14.1, it says on uh, bedrock, and what do we say that it said 15.9 15, 15, on 15.9 listed, gamba. and it's probably higher than that. Yeah. Um, and then we, you know, to start off, we started drinking some of the natural wine, the Sprockets, Dita from Sprockets, brought us the uh, white wine from High Pass Vineyard Willamette, and it... With the Damn aromatics, it. it smells maybe like a little Viognier, a little Shannon, a little. In there too. Oh, that could be yeah, because it's got really pretty nose on it. Hey, Bart. And then we've got. Oh. Speaking of Shannon, man, was your Shannon block a big hit at Christmas? Oh, good, wow. John. Thank I mean, you. We did Christmas and <laughs> New Year's, and yeah, we drank all we had. That's awesome. So now That's we need awesome. more. Okay, Just to no put problem. a comment in there, man. Thank, thank you very much. <laughs> um, you will have to call Oprah directly. Right. Yeah. She got We're down bal- to 30 cases. 30 okay, cases. that's good, right? Yeah. That's out, awesome. out you don't want to sell it all, right? No, because the Fairmont's going to probably sell 25 cases. Oh, no now. shit. Yeah, we are pouring that. If you want to come taste it, if you just want to try and come taste the taste, um, come to the Fairmont. Um, and then out. for the North Carolina wines, I thought the Viognier was a nice wine. I mean, I... Jasmine uh, and I both gave each other the thumbs up on it, We and then we watched Sam pour it. Smell it and then dump it. <laughs> so we were like looking at each other, like mm, maybe he don't like that. But the um, the petite man saying really interesting nose, mm-hmm. and for That's me, one I've never uh, heard of. Tell me about it. Oh, petite man saying. Um, I know never. Manfred Crinkle um, from Synquanon does uh, um, is working with it um, and doing some interesting white blends, but a unique varietal. Um, I don't know where it's originally from. I would assume France by the by the name, but um, but the um, all of the wines that we had from North Carolina are not flawed or bad in any way. They're um, and you know I love drinking any kind of wine. I, I have maybe in the last couple of years had two bad wines, and w- lately what it's been with um, drinking bad wine is is not that the wine's bad, but it, it was a little bit too manipulated because I've had some rosés. Um, that you could tell they just added too much acid to it. And so when you start to pick up on that, and it's almost like eating a, a sweet tart candy, where it's the flavor is good, but then it's it's like that searing acid that you can tell they just went a little bit too far on that. Yeah, the, I mean, that's the thing about when you add acid to wine is that there's a time where it be, it breaks. It's just not And I don't natural. know if it, maybe it was, they thought it was spot on when they when they did it and then sitting in the bottle, maybe it sort of expands a little it, it, bit. I don't know. So when I was at Kenwood, you know, Sauvignon Blanc was a big blend for us and it was very important. And we would do our tastings for acid because typically it needed a little bit. Yeah. And um, Mike Lee, the winemaker, would always say, okay, everybody taste it. And we'd try different amounts going up the ladder. And we would all kind of agree about the same thing. And he always liked it a little bit more because he used to always say, what this is now will be this later on. Because acid will drop over time, especially in a white wine. Um, But there's still a thing where it has to become harmonious. So you think they probably came out of the gate hot thinking it's going to drop and then I just bought it too soon. Maybe so. Yeah. Or maybe it'll never become harmonious. Yeah. You know, some that's just a stylistic thing, you know? Yeah. When you think about um, it with a rosé, when did they add it in relation to bottling? Absolutely. Because right. adding it and, you know, when wine's going to be in barrel or going to be in tank for a little while, it's going to help it sort of homogenize in a way that if you add it, you know, it's rosé, you add it in December and you bottle it in January. 
you know, and you were selling it in March, um, to me is not a recipe for, <laughs> it just, not a recipe to be able to make something that right, right. has integration. And and then the other thing is 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 being close. I mean, if you have to, if you decide to add a little bit at the end before uh, um, bottling, um, it it you don't want to make big ads. You know, you want to be right. in the ballpark all through the aging. You know, and hopefully you're there naturally because you good made good grape. You know, um, picking decisions and that the vineyard gave you what you want. Yeah. Um, but if you have to make an adjustment, you just want to make it as early as possible. Yeah. So. Well, and these are things you know that maybe a lot of people don't think about that are just daily wine drinkers. That there's decisions sometimes that get made logistically, just for the per- like you were talking about bottling in March. Maybe you want to bottle in April, but where you are, you've got a bottling line coming in March, right, exactly. and so do you want to hop on with them and save a little money, or do you want to spend more money and have them come out in? March and do just to do your run. Right. And of course it scared the shit out of me because I'm thinking, I don't think my wine's going to be ready in March. So now yeah. I'm looking at basically harvest of next year. Well, no, because there, where we're at, there's a place that one of the Cindy might be doing something before summer. So yeah. we'll talk with her and go from there. Yeah. You know, the other thing, Brian is yours is not a lot of wine. And yeah. um, we could very easily uh, rent the equipment and do a hand bottling ourselves. And, Ooh. You know, not I, some, I know somebody, we just borrow the equipment. Yeah. It's not, I, it's not, not as I, recommended for white wine. For white wine is red wine, yeah. um, certainly, but, you know. Well, well we could charge more for it, right? Because we'd put right on the label hand, hand bottled, bottled yeah, right? Yeah, totally. Okay, cool. I, I like that idea. You can, you, I'm pretty you know sure that. most of those hand bottle stamps come right off the truck and they put it on the hand. <laughs> <laughs> That's another two or three bucks per put bottle. It on there by hand. <laughs> <laughs> Stamped by hand. Have you figured out what yours would be at retail? Uh, no, I'm, I think I'm going to wait till final product and then you, then you run, you know, when the wine is where you want it to be at and then you run the numbers and say, okay, this is what I've got to be at to break even. This is what I've got to be at to make this much. This is, you know, and that has to what do with, guessing? Uh, that has to do with partners and spouses, I think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, so what are you guessing? Oh, I mean, BTG pricing or no, bottle pricing, I, I case think, pricing. What I, are you talking about? Yeah, I think. You know, it's a matter of more of Brian's going through the process of figuring out where he's going to sell it. He's going to want to sell some, you know, through the outlets that he has. He's going to want to sell some through um, a mailing list of, of friends, and then um, I mean, at the Fairmont, I can I can charge whatever I want because I'm the one buying it. <laughs> I have a feeling so it's a you lost po- a lot of money on. Uh, Brian's white wine last Our month. Our wine cost is through the through roof. Through the roof. <laughs> How did we sell so much Roussan? Right. <laughs> John, the, the most important thing for me, especially making a wine for the first time, and uh, is not to lose money. That's all. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that, Sam thinks that's very entertaining. <laughs> I only wish Phil was here to hear that, too. If there's a way not to lose money, my wife will maybe let me do it again. Does she know that you? How did how did you like massage the work at sixteen six hundred for six weeks in exchange for a ton of grapes? You know, she doesn't know what I'm doing during the day anyway. Oh, good, and yeah. she doesn't listen to the podcast, right? So right, fine. No, 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 no. And if she does, she just more focuses on you. Right, God, fair. that Sam is so nice. Yes. That's, <laughs> 
got her Althea, fooled. Althea, you think that's funny too, don't you? <laughs> Althea, what does the puppy say? <laughs> Nothing. Shy. Oh, Althea. She's having a good time. She really yeah. is. And she's chowing on these. These these are superfood puffs, organic grain snack, purple carrot, and blueberry. Well, before she was chewing on those, John. Oh, yeah, John, you, you and Althea will awesome. at some point be eating the same food. <laughs> Althea's on to pretty much yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, adult food at this It'll time. It'll be Ensure and uh, superfood puffs. <laughs> those are damn good, man. Seriously, try one. Those are really good. Did I, don't you know see what, the... I don't know what these things are made out of, but they contain time. You just like it. Just they right. feed. You're <laughs> right. just feeding time into the meter right. with these superfood puffs. Well, did, did you see that before that she was chewing on that cork that had a bunch of tartaric acid, like little crystals on the on the right. end of it? And she, and, look and at she, it. she licked it all off of it. She <laughs> was like little uh, teeth marks. Dane, <laughs> Dane, Dane, Dane used to go crazy with corks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, there she goes. You know. Uh, Advisory to the parents out there, 16600 corks are not baby safe because of my little piece of red wax on the top. Right. Because the red wax becomes a... a she just totally uh, scraped that tartrates off the bottom did. of that cork. Uh, yeah, little red oh, wax. And look at the face she made. <laughs> it was like, ow. Little tannin in there, baby. Yeah. <laughs> She's got purple all over her mouth. Uh, Sam, she what was chewing on cork? the stopper and dropped it dropped in it here. Into the, and uh, her perfect. face was... Like, oh my God, what did this I do? B- I don't have my toy anymore. She couldn't Parenting get it out. 101 by the winemakers. <laughs> it disappeared. It was amazing. Well, she wants to be in broadcasting. Look, she's playing with the mic. Bart, I just had your, um, so the 16 Dane Cellar Zinfandel go for a run. Ooh, that's nice. You know what it tastes like? Nice. It that's tastes good. like grapes. Yeah. Which and? sounds weird. It's, I know. Right? It's a Zin thing though, right? Well, so it's 95% Zin, 2.5% Alicante, 2.5% Petite Syrah. Hmm. So it it's always had like a grapiness to yeah. it. Um, I, I, I'm really happy with it. It's been a wine that I've been kind of confused with throughout its entire no, I uh, really process. I, no, but, I really like it. Yeah. I, very rarely do you get, and that sounds stupid to say. Right. Very rarely do you get a red wine that actually tastes like grapes. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's and, and, it's and very I'm not talking about it in a negative way. I'm talking about in a good right. way. And, and, and it's very different than the Los Chamazol. Which is fun. Right, right. Well, and we still have, we got one more wine to get to. Has anyone tried the Lido Cab? I did. I just poured it. Okay, because Bart, you you know these people. I got this wine from Mark, the former psalm at, at the hotel. He gave it to me. I think he came in for dinner, or maybe it was the last night that he worked or something. He, he gave this to me. And we were pouring it by the glass for a while. So it's L-E-T-O. It's a Napa Cab. Yeah, and, and um, Brad... Is a seasoned winemaker um, working in Napa Valley, um, uh, and also the thing that Brad has, he has what's called Rutherford Equipment Rental. And while oh. he was a full-time winemaker, <laughs> he started <laughs> he started renting equipment it's in the mail, <laughs> and and he they rent everything, and his wife Lisa. Uh, runs that part of the business, and then they have their label Lido that is down in the business parks in Napa. Um, he's since left his winery. It was his winery was acquired by the Foley family, and so he left. and um, They have a production facility where they do the rental, and um, they're great people. Um, they live here in Sonoma, up on Trinity, um, at the very top. Wow! And um, but yeah, great label, and and the wines. Actually, pretty. Yeah, well, like nice. I said, he's a 
He's been a Napa Valley winemaker for probably 30 years. So it's called a limited production wine. And uh, crafting original wines with collaboration and care. Well, okay. so Lisa's the marketing side, and Lisa worked for Glen Ellen during the Glen Ellen glory years, so uh, she probably picked up a little bit of that. She knows from how them. to do it. <laughs> <clears throat> and that wine was Corvin, so there was probably about how long ago do you think four, was Corvin? Four or five ounces taken out about two months ago. So she's when, been Brian, when when Mark was still at Fairmont. Yeah, I think it might have been one of his last days, or it was when shortly after when he came in for dinner and he just said, here, I want you to have this. That's always funny when someone gives you a bottle of wine. Here, I want you to have this, and there's some missing out of it. <laughs> I tried it. I didn't like it. I right. figured I'd give it to you. You're not quite sure how uh, to This is terrible. Brian will love it. <laughs> yeah, the age of the Corvin. <laughs> it is pretty strange when you look at a bottle that's like two-thirds full. Yeah, I got a few of those in my and it's fridge. Yeah. Well, the... Corvin is a cool tool. It really is. You know, if yeah. you want to drink that old wine, not open it. So, how's that, guys? All good for the day? Um, I guess so. It's raining. We're pruning. It's raining. Well, Pruning's the sun did on. come out. Uh, yeah, the sun is out right momentarily, now. Momentarily. Um, so cover crops are, are did, growing. Cover crops are way behind. Cover yeah. crops are because of a dry, cold October, November into December. So, we're. Like, you know, it's funny, actually, my sister-in-law in in L.A. is as a urban gardening farming business and posted a picture of her bell beans flowering. And ours are like, you know, it's a cover crop plant that we have, bell beans, and ours are like three to six inches tall and, you know, way, way from flowering. Yeah. How much rain do you think we got this morning? A couple of inches? Uh, A couple of inches came in. It was raining pretty hard. I think they said an inch, which it seemed like more, but... It was was an atmospheric river kind of moment for sure. Yeah, right about six o'clock, it really opened up. What does the puppy say? Althea's having fun. What does the puppy say? Sam, give us us a hint. Well, she just goes... Lately, she just goes, ah, whenever we say that. Ah, but now she's not doing it, of course. No. <laughs> Pressure. <laughs> Shout outs. What's the event you're doing, oh. Bart? Thank you, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I even had my notes. Um, so the Garage Teast Festival is coming to Sonoma for the third year. At the Vets oh, Building? At the Vets Building, um, February 15th. Uh, this uh, group started down in the Paso Robles area. They do about four events a year. This is the Sonoma um, Northern Exposure, they call it. Um, Great name. 41 wineries. Uh, some past um, guests of the podcast will be there. Um, so uh, uh, Raj from uh, Ocean's Raj Churning. Raj Iyer from Ocean's Churning. He yep. does beautiful Chardonnay from yep. the San Giacomo Vineyard. Uh, Asip um, wines will be there. Tress. Um, Tress, yep. Uh, uh, Katie Bunchu from Abbott's Passage. Um, the folks How from Sosi. Is doing? that made in a garage? <laughs> it's total production, not where it's made. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> nice. Sam, nice. Um, uh, who was it? Oh, uh, uh, Sosi Wines will be there. So that's... Um, we saw uh, some grapes from a couple different videos. Yes, you, you did. You know what? They are doing Wine Wednesday at the Fig Cafe tonight. Yeah. And yeah. that is... Um, uh, uh, What's his name as the winemaker for that? I don't know. I would assume their name Mr. is Sosi. Kaiser, no. Kaiser. Kaiser. no. It's Kaiser Sose. No. <laughs> it's the one Hungarian you don't want to run into in the middle of the night. 
<laughs> no, our friend that just moved to Philadelphia. Kieran. Uh, Kieran is Kieran's the winemaker for Sosi. What? Oh. Brian, we had this whole conversation when we had Kieran on. <laughs> That's no, all right. It's possible. You know, when you're running, the, when you're the running the board, you're, you're <laughs> so focused. Well, you know, and we did record it here at the at the uh, tasting house. So was I there? You know, yeah, you were here. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> did I say anything funny? You know, one of your neighbors would say that there's a reason we were all at this stupid table. <laughs> the dummy table. The dummy table. Yeah. Well, oh, and uh, is that where you get your Ferrari work done? <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, get your tickets. <laughs> check out my, check out the winemakers' um, social media. There's a link there for tickets. And, and if, you, if you live in California or if you just want to take a trip out here, we will be at Hospice du yes. Rhone, which, if you don't know, is is a big gathering of Rhone um, producers and Rhone lovers. So that's coming up in April. We need to get a, a Airbnb. We got a place picked out with a hot tub. So come to we'll we'll, we'll party with us. We will the winemakers uh, <laughs> podcast in a hot tub. Blah 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 blah. Join we, us. <laughs> we will text you the address. Find out quickly why it's if you're a radio interested show. in coming and hanging out with us, and we will have some of uh, Domain Labaro white blend, I believe, uh, pouring in the hot tub. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Thanks so much. What a great show. Yeah, John Appreciate Myers it. running the board today, so I hope everything sounded so, okay. This I is why so. this episode sounds good. Right. So. <laughs> All right, peace, love, kids. Uh, see you Althea, next week. What does the puppy say? Uh, One mm, more. Uh, All right, see you guys. Okay.